Okay, so um, Pajas told us, I love, you know, I love Safer Bracious because it just provides uh, such a great opportunity for so many conversations all the time, um, which is great. Um, so once again, Parshas Toldos provides uh, a myriad of uh, conversations to be had, things to talk about, etc. Um, but I thought that today I wanted to share with you a really nice thought that I saw. Um, uh, it's actually a nice conversation to have first, and then a nice idea that I saw about the story of Yaakov stealing the Bechorah from Esau, right? So we find ourselves in the, uh, the beginning of the Parsha, Rivka and Yaakov and Yitzchak become pregnant. Well, she becomes pregnant with, with twins. She's very nervous that she finds something going on. She, you know, there's a lot going on inside of her. She feels that they're fighting. They're, who knows what's going on in her, inside her womb. She goes to somebody. The Torah doesn't tell us, but Chazal says, and they tell her, you know, you have these two, these two uh, warring nations inside of you. And when they're born, the same thing goes on. We have warring brothers uh, going at it. Um, finally comes time for the Bechorah. Time, well, time, sorry, for, for, uh, for Yitzchak to give his bracha to Esav. He calls him in. He tells him, you know, provide for me some food and I'll, and I'll, and I'll give you my bracha. Fine. I think we've spoken in the past about the power of the bracha. Why is the bracha so important, etc. But what's, what we're going to talk about today is the response. Rivka is listening. Take a look in the, the first source. You have uh, embraced his Perak Chavzayin. Verifka Shamas with the Beit Chakal Esav, Ayelech Esav Beno, Ayelech Esav Asadel Atzut Sai Lavi. So she hears him talking to Esav. By the way, very interesting language there, right? Esav Beno. What's Esav Beno mean? Son. Whose son? His son. Fascinating. It's their son. Esav is their son. But the Torah refers to him as Esav Beno. And we're going to see it as we go along, the opposite with Yaakov, which is fascinating. Um, again, whether she said that or not, or the Torah is reflecting on her feelings, or the Torah is reflecting on, you know, uh, whatever. It's a very, it's a fascinating uh, just thing to pick up as you're reading. The Rivka Amrel Yaakov Beno, and so Rivka says to Yaakov, her son, right? Um, as your father's talking about all this, I, I see he's, he's asking Esav to prepare food for him so he can give him a bracha. My son, listen to me. Now listen to what I'm going to tell you. Go grab to. Uh, Two goats and make so I can so for me so I can go ahead and make these uh, you know make make the dish for you. What's interesting, by the way, um, this past uh, Shabbos Shuvah I spoke about the Sirlaz, the, the, the two Sirim, these two uh, goats that are brought um, on our, uh, on every Yom Kippur, one cent La Hashem and one cent La Zazel, and a lot of that is picked up on the the convert the you know it's Esav and Yaakov. Right, these two these two goats are Esav and Yaakov, and it's connect. Not a surprise here that in the story here, right? What are, what are the things that Rivka asks him to bring? Bring me two goats, right? It's again representative of, of these two brothers who go in divergent paths. Um, but nevertheless, take them and say bring them to your father. So he can give you a bracha. And Yaakov hears this whole plan, and he says to his mother, "I can't do this." 
Rabbi Yomi Yaakov replied, Mo hein Esav achi ish sa'ir, but no chi ish chalak. This is not going to work, man. I, I'm very, I'm, you know, I'm smooth. My brother is hairy. Ulai yuvishen yaviv. Ayisi ve'enav ki metateya. Maybe he's going to, he's going to touch me. He's going to see that I'm lying to him. I'm going to get caught. And then what's going to happen? Ve'evesi alai klala v'lo bracha. And forget about giving me the bracha. This is not worth the risk. When my father sees that I'm lying to him, he's going to curse me. And not only is he going to see that I'm lying to him, but if, the, if we believe that this bracha is powerful, so I'll tell you what else is powerful. My father's klala, his curse is powerful too. And if he's going to see me, you know, trying to steal the bracha, maybe he'll respond by cursing me. And Rivka has a very interesting response. Fatomer lo imo alai killas chabani. Ach shema b'koli v'leich kachli. He says to him, she says to him, don't worry about it, sweetheart. It's going to be on me. If you're going to get a klala, you're going to get cursed, that's not going to be on you. That's going to be on me. It's not your fault. Okay? And therefore, listen to me, and that's what he does. And he, uh, and he goes ahead, and he... Hi, Jenny. Um, and he, and he uh, says, go ahead. You know, uh, go take the things like I said. And he does. He does exactly what his mother asks him to do. He follows through just like his mother asked him to do. Um, and it's a, um, you know, very interesting dynamic there, right? That basically, um, Jenny, I'm putting the, I put the source sheet back in the chat if you're interested. Um, but that, that this idea that, you know, he says to her, but what's going to happen? He's going to curse me. And she responds, I like the No, no, no. It's going to be on me. It'll be on me. So, um, what I want to talk about today is what, what is this back and forth? What's his frustration? What's his fear? And what is her response? And what is, how does her response, you know, uh, calm him? Basically, he's willing to go forward. After she says, I'll take it. The, the curse will be on me, literally. He's not worried anymore. And he goes, and he goes forward and he does that which he asked. Or again, even if he's still bothered, he's a little less bothered. At least enough that he's willing to go forward. So uh, I'll ask you, before we see any sources, what, what, what would you say? Like, what, how, how is this response by Rivka... Um, why does that calm him in any way? Or what's he worried about and what's the response? What would you say? I actually heard a while ago, maybe, I don't even remember, it was last year, so maybe off, and I think it was from David Foreman, that when you look at their names, um, Yaakov is, actually has Akev, which the heel is curved, like spineless and, and not straight. And that Asav comes from to do, and he was a doer and, and was able to do things on his own, so that his mother actually kind of felt like she had to take Yaakov's side because he didn't have a backbone. And he was and that's why later his name was changed to Israel, which is Yashar, because he finally um, could fight for himself. Yes. There's a lot of talk that there's like it's also very strange. Of all of the Midos that Yaakov is associated with, he's called Yaakov is the, the Midah of Yaakov, like Avram is Chesed. Yaakov is MS. It's truth. And it's very strange because Yaakov spends his whole life tricking people. Right? But yes, Yaakov needs this, this lesson. One, I think we saw maybe a number of years ago, Rav Dessa talks about this, that, that it was actually that in each direction that um, ya- Yitzchak noticed in Esau that he was a doer. Right? And he would be the doer. And that Yaakov was like the, you know, 
the religious guy. He was the he was the you know the 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 you know the you know the moral compass, if you will. That together they would be great, and that's why he wanted to see them do both. Um, but but that Rivka realized no, Yaakov needs to be both. That that Esav isn't going to work, and she said no, Yaakov needs to pick up this doer mentality. He has to get right in place there. Yes, there's definitely a lot of conversation like that. What about what about her response? So like it's it's on me. How, how would you say that? What does that mean? It's a simple answer. You can give me simple answers also. Like what, what? I wonder if he thought maybe that meant, like, I'll talk to him about it. Like, it's fine. Um, which kind of gave, like, maybe Yaakov thought Yitzhak kind of was okay with it if Rivka's saying, no, like, it's fine. Like, I'll, I'll talk to Dad. It. Yeah, I'll talk to Dad on this one. You know, like, right, like, don't worry about it. Like, I, I know I'm telling you, and right now you think he doesn't agree, but, like, we'll t- I'll talk it out with him, and it'll be fine. Yeah, on a very basic level, that's that's fine. I think you're right. I think that's on a very basic level, that's what she's saying. You know, like parents work things out. You're you're the child. We're the parents. I know right now it seems funny, but like don't worry about it. I'll I'll talk to him and we'll work it out. Good. That's one possibility. Anything else? I'm gonna show you a few of them we've shown him. Any other thoughts? Okay, so let's go. Let's take a look at some of the answers. Here, some of the, some from the most basic in the sense of like the most simple um, or like rational and to the most not not in a certain way. Source number two is the Dasikadian Balayatosvos, right? These are the same Balayatosvos who uh, who comment on the Gemara. They're the grandchildren of Rashi living, you know, 1200s, 1300s. And they say, what does it mean? He's not going to curse you. Ki He's going to curse me, she says. She came derech haolam kishay yuladim osim shelo kedas shemikalin avien viiman v'romim arur shezegada. When a child makes a mistake, what do they say? They don't say that kids, you know, that that child messed up. What do they say? What kind of house does this child come from? Right? They right? It's a reflection on the parents a lot of times. But that's true or not true is like debatable, right? But they, if if a child steps out of line, typically it's not the child who gets you know uh you know blamed it's the parents oftentimes you want to know what you know what, what's going on in that house that that child acted in that way so he so, so in a very simple way she says no, no, no don't worry i like it let's have it'll be me he'll be upset at me because i'm your mom and i'm the one who told you to do it so on the very basic level he's saying it's, it's not your problem uh the rashbam in source number three says something a little bit different but similar a live out savarai it's on my it's on me it's on my neck it's a little different. What does that mean? What's Rosh Bam saying? What's, according, according to Dasakanim, Yaakov's concern is a practical one. My father is going to be angry at me. And she says, no, he won't, because, again, I'll, I'll tell him that it was my idea, basically, like it's me. Right? According, to that, according to the Rosh Bam, it's a very different answer. You probably would expect the first one from the Rashbam, right? The Rashbam always gives you the most simple, basic. He Rashbam gets a little more, a little more uh, esoteric and spiritual here. If the, yeah, I think she's thinking that it won't come to that because she got her prophecy when she went to ask, "Why do I have these two warring children in my belly?" And they said, "Ravia votes Sair, the the older one will end up serving the younger one." So she was so so sure that it would work out that she could say, "Don't worry about the curse." On me. We're good. God, basically, basically what she's saying is Hashem already ordained this. You're going to be fine. You are the one who's going to take the lead here, right? 
you're going to be the star of the show. You're going to be, it's going to be you, not, the, not your older brother. How do I know? Because Hashem told me so. I had a nevuah. Right, which we don't know, by the way, if, if Yitzchak even knows about that nevuah. Another conversation about, I think we talked about this also maybe a few years ago, the relationship between Yitzchak and Rivka. The, the lack of communication maybe that goes on here. But right, she's saying, look, I, I know it. I know it's going to be fine because I have a nevuah that tells me it's going to be fine. By the way, so what's the response? So then what could you have said? If, if I have a nevuah, it's going to be fine. So what could the argument have been? Like, why does she need to do this at all? It's supposed to work out. Right. So what would Rabbi Sachs say from last week? Rabbi Sachs would say, the fact that you got a promise from Hashem doesn't mean you sit by and do nothing. Right? The fact that you got a promise from Hashem means this is your invitation to act. That's exactly what he would say. Right? That would be exactly the same shot in this story. Right? Just like we talked about Avram, who had promises happen to him, but he goes ahead and he, he makes them happen um, on his own. So... Same thing here. She knows, about, she knows about the promise. She knows it's going to happen. And she feels now a responsibility to bring it to fruition. And therefore, when he says, well, what's going to happen to me? She goes, look, you have to act. You have to do this. But I'm not worried spiritually about you getting harmed by this because I have a promise from HaKadosh Baruch Hu that you're going to be fine. Interesting. Okay. Next one. Sforno. Alai kilascha, says the Sforno, source number four. Alai li kaneis tachtecha. I'll go, I'll be in your place. There was a story, basically, where Shlomo Melech accepted a, a, a curse on behalf of Yoav. Yoav was in getting trouble. He was his, his you know, uh, the, the head of the army. And he said, look, I'll, I'll take it. And that there's a concept of a person taking, uh, even in the spiritual way, taking someone's curse. If someone's going to curse you, I'll take it in your place, right? It's on me. Um, so he gives every year a, a dating schmooze to the guys in yeshiva and I specifically remember I, I don't know how old I was I went, I went one year uh, to hear him speak and he talked about certain things that he thought a person should do and someone said what if it doesn't work he says it's on me don't worry it's fine it's on me like, I, I promise you it's the right way to go, the right go, where to go. I always think about that when I hear I like said, I'll take it on my shoulders if you know my advice doesn't pan out you know but the, the, the basic idea is the same thing here. Like, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take, I'll take the hit. I'll take the hit. Okay. One more, and then I'm going to tell you the one that I like the best. Number five. Uh, it says the Alshech. He's going to touch you. Right? He's going to try to feel your arms to see if you're hairy or not. Olav, Altira, don't be worried. It's not going to happen to you. Don't worry. He's not going to figure it out. Don't worry about whether your father is going to touch you and figure it out or not figure it out. Your job is to follow what I'm telling you. Why? If you follow what I say, you're going to be fine. Why? Fascinating answer. The rule is, right, it's a rule in the halacha in general. That, uh, that, that if you're going, mitzvah, a person who's on their way to do a mitzvah, so they are protected in a certain sense. That's, why, that's the reason why when someone goes to, to Eretz Yisrael, they go on a trip. It doesn't have to be Israel only. They're going to Eretz Yisrael. What do people do? They give them a dollar. To... You let Jenny in? Jenny's waiting. She got kicked out. Oh, she's back I in. Got in. I got in. Back in, back in. Um, um, what's it called? So the reason you give a dollar to a person who, or you can give more, to someone who's going to Eretz Yisrael, why do you do that? 
So now they become your shliach mitzvah. They're right? your shliach mitzvah. You sent them as a messenger to do a mitzvah. What's going to happen? They have a certain uh, spiritual protection. Person on the way to do a mitzvah ain't in nizakin. So my dad would respond by showing you the scar that he got while making tzitzis. Okay. <laughs> on his finger. That happens also, right? You're right. You're right. It's not a it's not a foolproof, but it uh, right. But the idea being, you give someone a dollar. Why? If you're a shliach mitzvah, so now you're going to be more protected on your flight. That you should be, uh, that you'll be okay, that you won't get hurt. So that the, in a fascinating way, the Ashal turns it around and says that what she's telling him is you have a mitzvah keep it aim. And if you're doing keep it aim, then you uh, then you don't have to worry that you're going to get caught if something bad can happen to you. Just listen, and that's what she says. Right, the next thing she says, I like it, it's on me, and now listen to me. Why? Because again, she's saying if you do what I say. You're, you're a shliach mitzvah, you're doing exactly what I'm asking you to do. You're doing, you're doing, uh, you're more than a shliach mitzvah, you're doing the mitzvah itself. If you keep it up, you're going to be okay. Uh, which is fa- another fascinating conversation, as we've spoken about before. They're not, these are not, they're not Jews yet, right? They're, they're B'nai Noach still. They're Noahites. Big discussion. Do B'nai Noach have the mitzvah of keep it up, Which is also a very interesting question. Um, if, if yes, it's even better. If not, then you can assume these, you know, this is, uh, you know, the idea that they, they kept the they kept the Torah before uh, for Harsinai, etc. But the bottom line is another fascinating concept. Okay, but I want to share with you a different idea um, that I saw. I don't have it inside for you, but I heard it. I heard it man, a number of years ago, in the name of the Vilna Gaon. and the Vilna Gaon says, and this is a drusha. It's a drush, drush in a certain sense. But it's, it's, not, it's, it's a drush that is really borne out in the psukim later. And you'll see in a second. He says the word alai. How do you spell the word alai? Ayin lamid yud. Right? That's, that's alai. The Lagon says, what does ayin lamid yud stand for? It stands for the three biggest troubles that follow Yaakov the rest of his life after this story. Ayin for Esau, lamid, lavan, yud, Yosef. Alai kilas chavani. What he says to her says the Vilnagon. All of our store, all of our answers until now are answers of I will protect you, don't worry. You'll be fine. Nothing will happen to you as a result of this. Right? That's what all the responses are. Your Shlich Mitzvah, he, he, he's not gonna bother you, he'll blame me, I'll take the blame for you, I'll take the spiritual blame for whatever whatever she's doing, I'm stepping in, I'm gonna take the bullet instead of you. Tells the villain Lagon that Rivka was not telling him that. Rivka was telling him there are going to be consequences to this. And then Midrashin that talk about this, that because Yaakov tricked his father, he lives a life afterwards where he was constantly tricked by others and other people who try to get him afterwards. Who's the first person who goes after Yaakov as a result of his tricking his father? Of course, it's Esav. Esav runs after him. He has to flee the country because of Esav. His entire trajectory of his life changes because of this story. That's the very directly, right? On his way, once he leaves Esav, where does he head afterwards? He heads to Lavan. Right, and Lavan spends his entire time there trying to destroy his life, right? He switches the, he switches the wives, he tries to steal the grandchildren, he, he try, tries to rip him off, he, he does everything he possibly can to ruin Yaakov's life. When, and, and, get, and get as much as, in, at, at, squeeze as much as he can out of Yaakov before he, Yaakov eventually has to actually run away in, uh, under the dark of night. 
Right, Would so you consider this like an example of like Mida Kenege Mida? Because when they when they give examples of that in the Torah, that's not usually one that's ever listed, right? Like when you give examples? Yes. Yes, Mida Kenege Mida. The reason we don't usually give this example is because Mida Kenege Mida usually is, right, measure for measure, is usually somebody who does something wrong. Right? You do something wrong, you get punished, right? Measure for measure. The implication here is that he did something wrong, right? So he's getting a punishment. Well, so that's the question. <laughs> That's the question, right? He, if he did nothing wrong, then you wouldn't even have this Vilna Gaon. wouldn't be saying this because the implication is that he did something wrong. You could say it that way, or what else could you, you? You're correct, except that, meaning you're right, that usually when someone is, gets consequences for their actions, as right, I'm sure that phrase has come out of your mouth like it comes out of my mouth a lot, there are consequences <laughs> for things that we, that we do. I just said it. Right? Um, does that necessarily mean that... And what my kids always say, I say, it's not a punishment. It's just a consequence. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's actually not the same thing. Okay, it is the same thing most of the time. Right, but we like to call it that way. But it isn't always the same thing, right? A consequence isn't necessarily a punishment. Sometimes it is just a consequence. You make a choice. There's a certain thing you feel you need to do. And there will be fallout. It's it's context, right? Usually, when you say that, it's a ne- negative connotation. It's never positive. When do you ever say to them, "If you do that, you're going to get a lollipop," right? <laughs> Consequences. With Yosef, somehow Bnei Israel had to get down to Mitzrayim. Okay. They had to get down somehow. So it was going to happen another way. But because Yaakov is inserting himself into the story now, you're now, you know, as Janet said, now he's that active participant. He's standing up for himself and participating. Well, then you're part of the story. So if you want to marry Leah and Rachel, then Lavan's going to have to trick you. And if you want to have all these sheep, well, then Lavan's going to have to trick you. And if you want, you know, your children to inherit the land, then Yosef's going to have to go down to Mitzrayim. It's just part of what no, But I was just touching just on happen. exactly that one thing, right? Just that it's literally an eye for an eye. Like, you are tricking your father, then you will be tricked. So that's that's not... That's not like, oh, then this will happen and this will happen. You're literally getting a mita kanega mita. You well, know it's, what I mean? Right, yeah. but that, that may have just been the price he had yeah. to pay for doing potentially. I'm not saying it was the right thing, but one, or, one could argue that he did the right thing, but he, um, he was they, going to pay the price, but it was still the right thing, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, right. And that's exactly. No, but that that's what's I think challenging here is like because every time there are lots of midrashim like this that say that that because of what Yaakov did to his brother, so the rest of his life now he's on the run, right? Yaakov now is on. That's it. From this moment, he didn't want to do it. His mother said, "You have to," right? And she said, "Don't worry, I'm going to protect you." Well, look what happens to him afterwards. She didn't really. Right? She didn't really, I mean, in a certain sense, it's the best answer because it's true. Right? Not, not I, I'll take it for you and you're going to be fine. But you know what? There's going to be Esav, Lavan, Yosef. They're all going to come. It's all going to happen. And by the way, they all are connected to each other. Right? Esav obviously is direct. Lavan is the place where he goes. And Yosef, how does Yosef come about? Yosef comes about because there, there are warring factions in his family. If it was up to him, he would have married one wife. He just wanted to marry Rachel, right? It's because of Lavan that he marries Rachel and Leah, the wife that he really wanted, the one that he really didn't want at first, and that automatically, as much as maybe Yaakov wanted to, it just created this, this, these, these 
two groups, two warring factions in the family, which is exactly what leads to Yosef is who? Yosef is the beloved son of Rachel. And that's what the brothers can't handle. Again, you could argue Yaakov has a, has a, a place in that story also. But the point is that it's a, it is something that automatically became a consequence of his actions, but not necessarily because he's being punished for it, but just because it's the natural consequence. Again, it could be the but supernatural would, consequence. Why would he then find those words comforting? <laughs> so then he would go do it. Right. If, if his mom is saying you, this is going to be the consequence, <laughs> why did he, and he understood that, why would he so quickly say, oh, sure, mom. You know, <laughs> on, a practical, on a practical level, like, as a mom, sometimes you need to be a little manipulative to get your kids to do <laughs> certain things. And not necessarily in a negative way, but in a mom way. In order to get your child to grow and get over things, sometimes you do need to be a little manipulative. And it's almost like she is being manipulative because he is not the doer. He's not going to go and be proactive. And so she has to step up and, and push him you know, into the deep end to get him to swim. So, but if you knew that your kid was going to have those like horrible consequences for what you're pushing them to do, would you have pushed them to do it? But what was the other option? I mean, this wasn't the Berchas Avraham oh. and that comes later, but the other option was not getting any of it. If you were firmly that he has to do this, then you're going to step up and do what you need to do as a mom, regardless. Yeah. I guess so. Well, I, I, yeah, part of the problem is what he was doing is trick is bad to begin with. He's tricking his father. I think that's that's what we're missing in this discussion. Whether you know the consequences needed to happen or not, I think <coughs> do you, do you take part, it into your part, own hands, regardless of whether it's a good thing to do or not. Avraham didn't do that. When he took things into his own hands, he didn't. He did it legitimately and straightforwardly. So. I don't know. I feel like I feel like Cain and Hevel, right? So, so Cain killed Hevel, and the consequence for his action was that he had to roam the earth, right? It was a punishment, and this yeah, but, is the but, same but, thing. But it's a Hevel, punishment, who, right? But in, by Cain and Hevel, who tells him that it was a punishment? It's the Hashem. Hashem, right? Right. Cain and Hevel is, uh, is clear. It's clear cut that it's a, that it's a mistake or that's wrong, right? God tells him, "Your brother's blood is calling out to me from the from the earth," right? We, you know, where are, where are you? What did you do? Right? That's clearly a mistake. Ottoman Chava clearly was a mistake. Yes, it has consequences that impact the entire world forever. Um, everything we do has consequences. But I think what's interesting here is that in a certain sense, and, again, and by the way, I think it's important to point out, uh, I think that this is not heretical to say. When the Torah uses, uses the word, uh, uses specifically... You're being taped. <laughs> I am being taped. <laughs> But I believe this is correct. I, I actually, I think I asked this, this question once. Is it fair to say that when the Torah uses specific words, does that mean that the individual who spoke them used those ex- that exact language? And I think we assume the answer is not necessarily, right? Moshe Rabbeinu is using God's, is writing down God's in- narrative of the story, right? The reason the language of the Torah is how it is, is because it's all God's language, right? So when God puts in the word, Allah, kilos chabani, Right again, maybe that's like the narrator Hashem, right? Like kind of like tipping us off what was going on. Again, that doesn't mean that she still didn't have it in mind. She did, uh, and again, she's a, nev- a Nevia. But but I think part of the point here is that yes, and I think this is what's I think what's troubling us. But I think is I think a profound concept 
is that maybe she did know. And maybe, she, maybe the conversation that she had with Yaakov was, Yaakov, listen to me. I'm going to tell you to do something. You can imagine this in a movie, right? I'm gonna have a, let's have a conversation here. Your life is going to change now forever. I'm asking you to do something that you need to do. Your brother is a murderer. When he hears this and sees this, he's going to want to murder you, right? So you're going to have to run away. And I don't know when you're going to be able to come back. And that's okay. Or not, not, not that's okay, but... But that's, but that's what needs to happen now. Because Yaakov, this is your responsibility. Janet, to back to your point. Like, Yaakov, time to grow up. And it's time to learn the lesson of being a doer. And in this situation, in a way I can't explain to you, but I had a, nev- a nevuah that's told me you need to do this. And once you do this, there will be repercussions to that. Maybe she didn't know each and every step. But there are going to be repercussions here. Your whole life is going to change. You're going to be on the run. You're going to be all by yourself. When you're all by yourself, people take advantage of you. This is not going to be a simple, st- simple thing for him. She knew who her brother was. She knew who Lovin was. She grew up with Lovin. I mean, she was however old she was, but she knew who Lovin was, right? And she, and she sends him. Yeah, it's, it's also, um, I'm sorry, it's also interesting because the language changes. So in the beginning, it was Asaph, his son, Yaakov, her son, and... You know, it shows some favoritism there, but she probably was looking out for the weaker child, right? Which is normal for a mother. But as soon as he, as soon as she tells him what he has to do and he listens, right? So in 15, I think, it changes to, and, and Rivka took the choice of Carmen's uh, love. Oh, very interesting. So it's, and, and Yaakov is now. Benahagatan. So it's interesting. It's like at that moment, Fair changes, and, like that. and now she doesn't need to really protect him anymore because she put into place the course of events. I like that a lot, Janet. I really like that. Very good. Very nice. You will listen to a lot of Rabbi Foreman. That was really good. <laughs> um, that's excellent. It's a great point. I look how it changes to Banan Banan. Now she's, now she's like playing equal. She's kind of like done her thing, and now she steps out. And she's sending him on this, on this journey. But I want to show you one other thing that is really... It's creepy, but it's really cool, okay? Take a look now at source number six, okay? Source number six is the way end, not total end, but this is many, many years later. Yaakov has already run away from Yesav and had to you know, deal, do his story, his whole story with, with meeting up with Yesav, etc. He's had all of his children. He's had his experience with Lavan. He's run away from Lavan, etc., and now he's had lost Yosef. He's lost Yosef. And this is when the brothers come back from visiting Yosef in Mitzrayim. They don't realize he's Yosef yet. And they come back and they want to go back. Right? And what happens? Yosef actually takes Shimon and puts him in prison. And, and they come back to their father and say, it's time for us to go back. We've got to bring Binyamin with us. And look what Yaakov says. Look what Yaakov says. Vayomer alehem Yaakov. Avihem. Osi shikat them. You put me in such a, I'm just in such a terrible place. Yosef enenu. Yosef is gone. Now Shimon is gone. Now they're going to take Binyamin. Alai hayu chulana. Alai. All of Alai has now happened to me. Esav, Lavan, Yosef. I've gotten all the consequences of this. Look how I can't handle it anymore. Basically he's saying. Look what happened to me. Right, after all this. Isn't that amazing? Same word Alai. Right? That he's kind of come full circle. Which, by the way, reminder, in the end, Yosef is in Mitzrayim. And Yaakov is able to reunite with him and live the rest of his life together with all of his children. 
And we've had conversations about how, how good that relationship was afterwards, right? Living in Mitzrayim with Yosef, does he know? He doesn't know, whatever. But the, 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 this, this approach to the Vilna Gon, to me, is like astonishing because it really speaks to what really happens. And then in a certain sense, she's saying to him, whether she said it again, whether she meant it, like you're going to have this and that and the other thing, all three, I know exactly what they are and this is exactly what's going to happen to you or not. The, the point is that she's saying to him, there are going to be consequences and that is your responsibility. You have to bear the brunt of that. I'm sorry. But this is your responsibility. This is, you're going to grow up now and now you're going to, you know, take charge of your life with all that is going to come, come along with it. All that's going to come along with it. But it's, a, but it's a worthwhile trade-off. It's a worthwhile trade-off. And if you see at the, at the top of the sheet, I called, I think, what did I call this? I called it being an essentialist. I think, I think a few years ago, I mentioned to you this book, Essentialism, by Greg McCown, which I think I spoke about it in a different context, talking about, how, basically what the book is about, is about um, the fact that so many of us, myself included, we try to do everything, right? And because we try to do everything, what ends up happening we do a lot of things okay. And we're never able to really focus because we just like, you know, we just like are constantly running in different directions. He makes a great, he has a great uh, graph at one point. I'll draw, I'll draw it for you here. He, he talks about, you know, what people do. He says, look, can you see this? Right? Most of us are like this. We try to do a million things. Right? And he says, some of the essentialists, he says, is like this, right? You take all your energy towards the things that really matter to you. And his point is, when we, when we pull ourselves in too many directions, what happens? So that we're not able to be as accomplished. But if we wanna put ourselves more and more focused, you know, I wanna focus on, on a few things and do them really well, well, what does that mean? It means that by definition, there are gonna be trade-offs. There are gonna be things you're gonna to have to say no to. Right? If, you don't, if you want to be able to be successful in, in focusing, look, this is the thing I, I need to accomplish, X and Y. I'm not doing Z and I'm not doing A and I'm not doing B. I want to be really good at X and Y. Well, that means that you have to, there's a great opportunity in A and B and C and say, I'm, I'm actually not going to do those. And that's a trade-off that a person has to accept for themselves right, at times. There's, there, there's always going to be times in life when we want to accomplish in a certain way and we have to say to ourselves, okay. But if I do that, it means I'm not going to do something else. He gives a great example of uh, Southwest Airlines. Southwest Airlines, when they first came out, and some of, what are the, like, the essential elements? Is Southwest Airlines still around? It still is, right? Um, Southwest, what was, what was so... Uh, the big chiddish with Southwest was that they didn't go to every city. They don't have first class. They don't serve meals. Um, they don't even tell you what seat you're in, right? But it's a lot cheaper. And, and when they first came out, people said, oh, no one's going to want to do that. And I said, well, if, for the price is right, someone will do that because someone will say, I'd rather spend less and I'll get rid of the frill. I don't care about the frills. I'll be no frills. It's fine. And they decided though, but again, they're giving up certain things. They had to give up certain comforts as an airline, certain things they weren't going to offer and take the fact that some people are going to lambast them for that. How could you do that? How could you not offer X and Y and Z? They said, look, we want to do this well and we, we have a certain model. And they did phenomenally well. There were other airlines that tried to do the same thing. And they said, oh, we'll offer the same thing. Continental said, we'll do Continental, Continental Light. But what happened was they had too many other things that they were doing. And they were caught up in so many other areas that they couldn't do it well. And they, went, and they eventually got rid of it. And his point, again, is the same thing. That sometimes in life, you want to be successful in a certain area, you have to say, well, there's going to be certain trade-offs automatically. Every choice you make, 
right? I think I've probably mentioned this to you before. This, the, the most fundamental thing that I learned from, from that book was, and I didn't even read it from beginning to end yet, um, but one of the most essential things I learned from it was that the answer is always no, unless it's definitely yes. It's a very hard thing for me, but I, I've learned this concept, right? If I have something new, it's something, you know, can you do this or that or the other thing? So I need to know, you know, it's something outside of my usual job, let's say, you know, so I speak at something or whatever. So I learned that I, some, that I have to, because it's going to come from somewhere. I'm giving more time. Where is it coming from? It's coming either from my, my work responsibility. It's coming from my family. It's coming from somewhere else. And sometimes, again, some of the answer is yes, definitely yes. It's for sure something I really believe in and it really fits the values. It fits what, I, what, I, what my goals are, et cetera, then great. But if it doesn't, then the answer is no. And that's very hard. Um, it's been hard for me to learn that personally. But it's, it's, such, a, it's such an important concept right, that sometimes uh, someone who I have a very, someone, someone I'm very close to uh, has a very hard time saying no. They would, they would admit it. And one of their friends made them a sign and they wrote the word like different ways you can say no on the list. It said like, actually, I think I'm not able to. Actually, I'm busy. You know, different lines you can say. You know, when someone asks you to do something, how to say no. Because saying no is also important. Sometimes we have to know how to protect ourselves from things that we, uh, that it's, you know, it's just going to pull us in too many different directions. It's a little different than this concept, but it's the same idea, right? That there's going to be trade-offs. And that the lesson that Rivka was teaching Yaakov was it's not going to be easy I'm not telling you that this is going to go great, right? In the end of the day, it's the right thing for you, but you have to know it's going to be hard. Because you're going to make this choice, there's going to be certain things you're going to have to contend with. It'll be worth it in the end. You're going to be the father of Am Yisrael. And it worked out for Yaakov in the end. He gets to Mitzrayim, he reunites with his family, his children become the Shiftei Ka, they get to the Torah Harsinai, and they, uh, they live in Eretz Yisrael. And look at us, right? We, we, he's, he's the father of this tremendous nation known as Am Yisrael. I don't think Yaakov would give it up for the uh, comforts that he, that he lacked in the story of Esau and Lavan and Yosef. I don't think if you, asked, you interviewed Yaakov Avinu, he would say it wasn't worth it. But at the time, maybe he would have, unless he knew, you know, consciously, that he was giving it up because it, it was worth it. And that's, I think, such a, such a profound idea that the Gura, I think, teaches us in this story of, of, uh, of Yaakov, that that's what his mother was teaching him. That's how she helped him grow up. That's how she helped him become who he was going to, who he was going to become, a person who he was not yet. But that because he was, uh, had to become Yaakov and become Israel, this was gonna, these were the trade-offs he was going to have to make. Um, so that's my... Uh, sometimes, we're, sometimes we're the Swarno and we say, I'll take care of you. It'll, it'll all be good. And sometimes we say, I can't make it all good, but this is the right move anyways, and it's going to be worthwhile for you. And I think that's the, you know, and different, different scenarios call for different responses. But I think this response of Rivka uh, to Yaakov at that time, I think is a, uh, an amazing one, and one that I think it, you know, that has a lot of ramifications for us. Rona? Pretty nice, Rabbi Kron. <laughs> and it's okay? You like it? Yeah. <laughs> but, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we're all good. We're all good? Okay. Yeah. says we're good. No, thanks, guys. I thought this was, I have Thank to you. say, I love the conversation. I love the conversation, even on Zoom. Great. Um, <laughs> I'm enjoying this more each and every week. I'm just happy that we're able to learn together. So I appreciate everyone taking the time in the middle of the day. And I uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you.